In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Last week, if you were able to be with us, and as you may recall, we looked at a moment in Jesus' ministry and teaching his disciples, and thereby teaching us, um, what it meant to be a true giver. So we saw Jesus redefine the concept of giving. Giving is what you have, or even giving all that you have, is the standard by which appropriate giving is to be measured. So if you remember, the context there was the, uh, the widow who put in her two coins and wouldn't have made much of a sound, but yet she put in everything she had. And then this week, the gospel picks up with Jesus walking out of the temple from that, that context. It's the same moment. It's a number of moments later, Jesus is now walking out. He's just taught his disciples that putting a bunch of coins and making a lot of racket and noise is not what giving is all about, but it's giving what you have and sacrificially. And, and now they, they walk out, and I can't help it, but kind of be thankful to Mark that he didn't name this disciple for us, right? That we're just told it's one of these disciples, that we don't have to think about which one it is. We don't have to be like, oh, there goes Peter again, being Peter, or something like that. But, but having just taught them about money, having just taught them about the proper way in which to, to treat that which God gives us, which is to mostly give it back to him. They walk out of the temple complex, and one of the disciples says, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, I don't know what would have motivated this disciple to to turn around and look at the temple, which certainly wasn't the first time that these people had seen the temple, but, but for some reason, he's motivated to, to point this out to Jesus, and, and charitably, maybe he was trying to prompt Jesus to say something, right? Maybe he didn't quite get it, and, and having just been told what it means to give everything, he was still a bit enamored by the beauty of the temple. And Jesus says to this disciple, do you see these great buildings? Yes, I imagine is what the disciple is thinking. Yes, I just pointed them out to you. I, I, in fact, do see them. Well, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. I mean, if you were with a realtor and looking at a house and they said that, you'd say, yeah, let's pass this one over. I'm not going to buy this one, right? You know, like, it looks great, but if that's what's going to happen, I'm not interested. So, so Jesus, right, again, why the disciple wants him to look is maybe a bit... Uh, questionable, but Jesus uses this as an opportunity to say something quite apocalyptic, right? Quite astounding given the nature of the temple that not one of these beautiful stones, wonderful building will be left here. They'll all be thrown down. So this week, if last week was about Jesus redefining giving, this week Jesus tells his disciples that God is doing something new. It is not what is now, but what is yet to come. And again, this is pointing us in the direction of Advent, just a couple of weeks away, right? So it's pointing us in this direction of where we reflect upon he who is the new thing that's coming, and we'll even see that tonight. So um, notice, I, I like the parallelism that Mark does here. Notice that last week, Jesus was sitting and looking at the offering plates when he instructed his disciples about what it meant to, to give. And then in verse 3 of our passage tonight, Jesus and his disciples go across the way, and as they're sitting on the Mount of Olives to have a vantage point of looking back towards the temple, right, Jesus begins to teach them about what is coming. Well, at least they want to know what the sign will be, 
right? And Jesus kind of warns them of things that are going to happen. And so again, I want to use the language of Jesus is moving them from something old to something new, right? That if, if you used to think that giving was throwing all you had in the offering plate to make a lot of noise, the new thing is to give all that you have, even if it's two small coins. This week, again, it's not what is here now, but it's what's to come that's more important. And so let's think about this beautiful Old Testament lesson that we got to read this evening, and then uh, even by using the Canticle of Hannah, we get to continue the reading into the, the time normally reserved for the psalm. And so here we have this woman who is barren. She can't have children. She wants children, she can't have children, and she gets mocked for it. Now, her husband shows her favor, you know, as a result probably of unable to be able to conceive, but uh, others uh, mock her and irritate her and make fun of her almost, right, for this inability to, to conceive, something that we would understand is completely biological and beyond her control, but they're, they're mostly probably mocking her because, you know, God's not smiling on you, the Lord's not looking with favor upon you, you've, you've done something to offend God perhaps, right, so what does she do? Hannah goes to the temple, Right? She goes to where Yahweh is, again, hearkening back to Jesus and his disciples there at the temple. And, and she sits down and she's distressed. And so she, she vows to God and she's praying like we often do by moving our mouth, but not, our, you know, but not anything coming out. And it's one of these great moments in scripture, right? Like she's drunk. I'm going to go say something to her, <laughs> right? So, so there Eli goes over and and says, you know, you're drunk, and how long are you going to go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah's like, oh, no, I, my problem isn't drunkenness. It's worse, right? It's I can't have children, and I'm, I'm getting mocked and made fun of. No, I, I'm, not, I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. So I've been pouring out my soul before God. Don't think of me as a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. So she's certainly pouring out her heart to God there, right? Anxiety, great anxiety and vex vexation. She's, she is asking God to change her situation, right? The old is, is that Hannah can't have a child. She's barren. So Eli, the priest, says, go in peace. And the God of Israel grants your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And if we're paying attention, we now start noticing the similarity of language between this text and Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, about Mary. Right? So we, we, your servant, may you, let your servant find favor in your eyes. What did the angel say to Mary? Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. So we're getting there, right, with Advent, but, but kind of in the not yet of getting there to Jesus, we, we start having this, this, this verbal echo of the Old and the New Testament uh, showing us that, that Hannah's pregnancy was a, a, um, a foretaste. It was a, an image, a sign of what was yet to come with the Savior. And so Hannah does what, what Eli says. She leaves, right? Very much like Mary responds to the angel. She she recognizes the authority of the angel and, you know, says, may it be done unto me according to your word. And, and so let your servant find favor. So Hannah leaves. She goes home. She eats. And she was no longer sad. She took comfort in those words of Eli, who had asked the Lord to show her favor. 
And so they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their house, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. The old is barren Hannah, the new is Hannah, the mother. Luke 1.31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's Luke 1.31. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Right? So Mary is, conceives and bears a son named Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. Hannah conceives, bears a son named Samuel. Why? Because she's asked from him from the Lord. That's the new thing. Right? Not barren Hannah, but Hannah, mother of Samuel. Not Mary, right? The, the young Israelite woman who agrees to work with God, but, but Mary, the mother of God. And then even our reading tonight from, from Hebrews, where we've been in Hebrews, the, the, the epistle for a long time this year is in, he, in Hebrews, and we've I've preached on occasion from it about the priesthood, and, and it comes up again here in Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 25, right? But the, the point here is Hebrews uh, wraps up its teaching about the old priesthood and the new priesthood, right? Is that, well, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, right? So in the Old Testament priesthood, a priest would offer sacrifices over and over and over and over again until he died, and then another priest would come along and offer sacrifices again and again. But, but Christ, Jesus, the great high priest, has offered for all time a single sacrifice himself, the self-sacrificial nature of Jesus. He's offered himself for sins. Therefore, this is the new covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, right? So the author of Hebrews begins to quote the Old Testament. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So this new thing that's happening, represented by Jesus, the great high priest, offering the once for all sacrifice for sins, right? This is the new covenant. It's not like the old covenant where things have to be repeated again and again and again. Instead, Jesus does it once and for all time. Thereby, we receive the forgiveness of sins because of the self-offering of Jesus Christ. We no longer need to have someone intercede for us over and over again. Jesus brings forgiveness of our sins, and this is written on our hearts and on our minds, the text tells us. Right? We've been washed clean, the text goes on to say, by the new birth. And that gives us hope so that we can stir up one another to love and good works, especially as we see the day drawing near. So this offering that Jesus makes, right, in the old, on the old covenant, what's old is the Old Testament priesthood needed to do it again and again, and, the, and that was the nature of the covenant that you send and animals were offered on your behalf by the priest. But, but the new thing, right, Jesus is the high priest, and he's offered one sin for all and that is written on our hearts, and we are able then to, to be hopeful so that we can become holy people and stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, the text tells us, but encouraging one another, and again, all the more as we say, see the day drawing near. So the Hebrews text brings us full circle back around to Jesus, who's talking in apocalyptic, eschatological language about the end times. 
right? Again, these disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, who are with him privately now across the way and asking, like, what do you mean? Say more, right? That's a beautiful temple. It's a solid temple. It's made well. It has stood there for quite some time, right? And Jesus said, it doesn't matter. There'll be not one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. That temple, I think Jesus is saying, is the old way of doing things. It's the old way of thinking about things. The new way is not about that temple sitting over there on the hillside. So, of course, they're curious. Well, what is this new thing? And again, we're not there yet textually. We're not there yet in the liturgical year. But we know that Mary becomes that temple as the infant Jesus tabernacles inside of her in order to be among us, in the same way that Hannah gave herself over, Mary gives herself over. In the way that Hannah waited and prayed at the temple, she becomes the temple for Samuel, the way in which Mary becomes the temple for Jesus. But right now, Jesus is saying, look, don't let anyone lead you astray. Trust me, believe in me. When you hear there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, don't panic. Nation's going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be earthquakes and perhaps even more appropriate for us these days, fires. There's going to be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. And so there's going to be a difficult season through which the old goes into the new. Right. And again, and to anticipate the upcoming liturgical year that we get to walk through every year. Right. That means the cross and the garden, the agony, the pain, the suffering. But yet it also means the resurrection and the ascension. And so that's, we stand on the cusp of this, and and as we see this day drawing near, it's not just the eschatological day of the end where God will take us all up to meet him in the clouds and we'll be with him and know him as he is and see him face to face. No, it's not just that day, but it's that doubled nature aspect of Advent that we're getting to, which it's about the day of Jesus's incarnation, and we see that day, the eschatological day, through the lens of Jesus. And so as we come quickly here to the end of this liturgical year, uh, next week is a bit of a special day in the calendar. We think about Christ as the King of Kings. And then as we enter into Advent, let us begin to think about the way in which Jesus takes us from the old and into the new. The way in which perhaps the old liturgical year passes away and gives way to the new one. The way in which we inhabited this past year and all that God has done in us and through us and for us gives way to this newness, to this sense of anticipation about Jesus and a, and a renewed hope for ourselves, that hope that's rooted in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So that we can have yet again that hopefulness of encouraging one another to love and good works, to stir one another up. We're blessed to have this repetitive nature of things. I like repetition. I like things to be the same. I thrive in it. I have confessed to you before, I run the same route every morning. And it is not an exciting one. It would drive most of you crazy, probably. But it's familiar, and it's something I like to do, and I know that when I've done it, I've done the thing that I had set out to do. And so as we think about the way in which perhaps the liturgical year begins to, to look the same, let us go into this again, thinking about how the old is giving way to the new. 
and let us begin to prepare ourselves. This week, you received an email, I assume, from, uh, from me about the fasting initiative that we want to do here beginning in Advent. And it's not just for Advent, though we're asking you to focus in Advent and perhaps be able to do that as we perhaps covenant together as you're able to fast together on Fridays in particular. But thinking about the way in which um, we want to think about where we have been because the new year is also where we get to celebrate our anniversary and think about where we've come from and where we're going, not just as individuals, but as a parish. And again, I just want to bring up that discipleship plan, the vision that's been laid before us and the way in which this fasting initiative His goal is to get us to be thinking about what God wants to do with us in the days to come. And so let us not just simply sit back and look at the proverbial, because it would be proverbial, stones of this parish, right? Let us not just look at this temple that we worship in, but let us instead see that and then wonder what new thing will come from it. And let us ask God to give us guidance and direction as we enter soon this new year, this new liturgical year. And so as we look to Hannah as our example, as we think about the sacrifice of Jesus, as we think about the way in which the eschatological day of the Lord will come, until that happens, may we look forward to each and every day that the Lord gives us, as he moves us from our old selves to our new selves. And as always, let us make ourselves available for that movement. Let us let the Spirit work within us, because God certainly wants to do a new thing. And as he does his new thing in us, May we follow his good example and love one another well to good works and to good community. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.